poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome back, my friend, to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, founder of EnhancerEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and my conversation today is with tournament wizard and WSOP bracelet winner, Ryan LaPlante. Ryan is a game theory expert who battles in the live and online streets of No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha. On the WSOP circuit alone, he's recorded 69 in-the-money finishes and collected winnings worth more than $1.2 million. His most recent cash was at the Poker Masters, where he took it down for about $186,000. Altogether, he's amassed more than $2.4 million in winnings playing in live tournaments. He's been a content creator and coach on several of the most reputable poker coaching sites on the internet and has now launched his own at LearnProPoker.com where he shares the very same strategies and techniques that he's been using to crush the games and generate massive profits. During our conversation, Ryan reveals a unique perspective on poker that moves back and forth between strong technical strategy and deep philosophical lessons to be learned. He'll give you his recipe for playing winning poker and winning at life. He also explains how his passion for the game has grown into a passion for helping and teaching others who want to learn and succeed in the game of poker. As a coach, teacher, player, and human being, Ryan is a blessing and massive boon to the poker world. If you're a tournament player chasing poker greatness, you'll have a hard time finding a better example to follow on the felt than Ryan. Once again, thank you for joining me. And now, without any further ado, here is Mr. Ryan LaPlante on Chasing Poker Greatness. Ryan, my man, how are we doing? Hey, I'm doing wonderfully. I've had a, you know, all right past uh, week or so. It's been pretty good. Can't really complain. Yeah, it's been an okay week. But let's let's talk about that first. So just tell me about the week. Let's, I don't want to spoil it. So uh, Poker Masters uh, started about a week and a half ago. Um, and I decided a while ago that I was going to play a handful of the events, going to play three of the 10Ks, three of the 25Ks up a package sold out um sold a large piece of it and you know started playing some events the 10k no limit didn't exactly go very well fired off an entry uh but the field ended up being pretty big so i decided to fire a second with no luck then i decided to play the plo the next day ten thousand dollar buy-in um end up getting 62 entries and i had a pretty rough start well i had a very good start and then a very bad start i uh busted eric seidel within like the first maybe 45 minutes. So I was up to 250K start uh, from 125K starting sack within like the first 45 minutes or so. And then things kind of went to hell. Um, <laughs> I just like lost a ton of pots and like lost a flip. And, you know, I was just like stuck grinding for a while, just making like no momentum whatsoever. And I was down to like, honestly, I had 100,000 chips at BB 5K. So I think I had like 20 bigs or so. And then 30 minutes after that, I'd like 300K. Uh, an hour hour or so after that, I had a million and I was ship late. 
<laughs> I went from just like nothing to this monster stack within like two hours tops. And I think once I got chip lead until the very end of the final table, I held it the entire way. Wow. I don't think there's a single moment where I dropped. Once I gained chip lead, I just went wire to wire and just yeah. didn't let go of it the entire way. So the switch, the switch flipped, and then it never unflipped. It yeah. stayed flipped the rest it of the was, way. Uh, it was pretty sick. There was a couple, like, I even, like, ran bad in some all-ins, too. I would like, uh, a few all-ins where we were, like, either I was a monster favorite or we were just chopping, like, 90% of the time, and they just, like, drilled the, you know, the scoops on me. And even with that happening, I still held the chip lead and still just, like, kept it all the way through. So, like... I would win all the big pots and lose like the small all-ins and just keep chipping up through that. And it was, uh, uh, pretty ridiculous. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it feels good. How, yeah. did it, how did it feel to get heads up with a friend of yours? You know, I've known Chance Cornets for like six years or so. Um, I, I am slash was a coach for Chip Lear Coaching um, during the process of downsizing. And uh, But that being said, you know, I've known him for a long time. He's been a good friend of mine for a pretty long time, too. And obviously, we've discussed lots and lots of poker, both No Limit Hold'em and PLO. So we each have a pretty good idea as to how each other think and approach the game. And being able to get heads up with a good friend of mine for essentially the largest buy-in final table I've ever made. Um, I final table a 10K WBT at RE as well. So only the second time I've FT'd a 10K, you know, having that type of experience obviously was very, very, very cool. And uh, being able to run a big bluff on him, the first hand of heads up, was even better. <laughs> <laughs> was there a live stream to the event? Uh, yeah, there's a, it was streamed on PokerGo, and uh, there's a recording of it. So Nice. Yeah, it was pretty uh, great. wonder how he feels about the, the big bluff. Um, he was surprised that I turned the hand into a bluff, but I actually think it's the hand I'm supposed to bluff with. So it was, uh, I limp button, uh, he checks the big blind. I have nine, eight, five, three with one suit. Flop is king, five, five with two diamonds. I do not have any diamonds in my hand whatsoever. He checks, I bet like, I bet 100,000 into 240K. He check raises to 260, I call. Turn is an offsuit 10. Uh, he checks, I check back and river is an offsuit jack. He bet six hundred thousand into a pot of seven sixty, and then I shove all in effectively, putting him all in for one point four million more. So, uh, if I'd called pot size would have been one point nine. So I shoved for essentially seventy five percent pot uh, effective, and uh, my hand un- essentially unblocks the main straight that he's going to be value betting with. It unblocks Ace Queen. So if I'm going to like call his river bet, I think I need an ace or queen in my hand as a bluff catch. Like what sort of ace queens does he have on king five five? Um, so we were deep enough effective that I don't think he's always going to be raising like, like ace queen garbage garbage. If it's like not a suited ace, I don't think he's going to raise it. So if it's like ace queen three deuce or whatever, he's not raising stuff like that. But if he has like uh the, the, backdoor nut flush blocker or has some type of flush jar or whatever he's definitely going to check raise it and when i bet call a flop i have a decent amount of just like five x that are full houses and whatever on the turn so we can't just like blindly follow through on a bluff unless he has like 
maybe exactly uh, the nut flush draw plus a gutter ball on the turn. And even then it's kind of dicey with how strong my range is that gets to the turn. So yeah. I think he's going to get to the river with some ace queen combos, some queen nine combos. He's going to have like 10, five as well. That wants a value bet. And when I check back the turn, I can still have king five, 10, five pocket Kings. Um, I could have some pocket tens combos like ace, 10, 10 type hands, uh, with especially any 10 10 with a flop flush draw, I'm going to have all those. And then on the river, I have a, f- a couple pocket jacks combos, although he blocks them. Um, but I can definitely just have like jack five plus for value when I like when I shove the river, I'm essentially just saying I have jack five or better and try to figure out what bluffs I have because I'm not going to have very many. And I think the exact bluff that I'm supposed to have is like nine five or eight five that don't have diamonds in it are like my best combos to use as bluffs. And he, uh, you don't think he's checking back? So I assume that he's got to think your frequency for betting the flop is going to be pretty high mm-hmm. to to go for check raises pretty liberally to end up with a lot yep. of straights. And then you don't think he's checking a lot of his uh, full houses on the turn? Um, no, I do think. I think he'll check 10-5, which makes my value jam, oh, makes my bluff jam on the river a lot better. Because let's let's say I think he always bets ten five on the river or yeah. sorry on the turn, then he gets to the river with like only jack five plus essentially. Right. So it's bad for me if he bets the turn with all full house combos. I mean, betting the turn with his king fives, he probably does. So I I think that he's kind of capped on the river to jack five. And if he's kind of capped to jack five, that just makes my bluff very, very profitable. Right. Even if I think he's always calling me a jack five, which if you like asked me before I ran the bluff and like just told me he had jack five, I probably wouldn't have ran it because like, well, I think he might fold it. That's like, <laughs> yeah. I think and might. And those are not generally not words you want to use with someone that really hates to fold to people. Yeah, for sure. And, and he ended up having ace queen. Is that what he No, ended he ended up, up having jack five and folding it. Oh, he folded the jack five. So yeah, he folded, folded a boat. Yeah, he folded. I I think like the stone top of his range. Essentially, he probably just assumed that it was a big heads up match for me, which it it was. You know, it was like a sixty thousand dollar heads up match, which is obviously a big heads up match for pretty much anyone. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he realizes that when I'm playing, I just don't care how much money I'm playing. I'm just gonna play my game. And I'm how does he not realize he's known you for six it. years? How does I, he not know? I know it's easy <laughs> enough for like people to like get that to some degree, but like you know, I've still never had a two hundred thousand dollars score. So like, while I've made all these big final tables and stuff, you know, I'm not really known for being a high stakes player or having like absurd results or whatever. So while I I can obviously compete at that level and. You know, have had some big FTs. I think like people, even someone like him that knows me pretty well, probably still assume that to some degree that the amount that I'm playing for or the situation I, I'm in is going to affect my mindset to some degree, which is honestly, it's very reasonable. Most people when they're in, in these types of spots will certainly be affected by the fact that they're playing a big heads up match for a lot of money, you know, for a title, for all this stuff. But I'm just the type of person that, once I decide to play something, I've already kind of lost it in my mind, as in like I'm just going to bust it and whatever. So that kind of just enables me to just play my A-plus game and not really care. And if I do poorly, okay. If I do great, wonderful. But 
I'm just, when I'm sitting down at the table, I'm just so focused on playing well that, you know, I just don't really think about, you know, the impact of winning or losing or whatever. I'm just focused on making good decisions. Um, It's the before the fact, like leading up to playing, that's when I'm like kind of a nervous wreck. But once I sit down, I'm good. I don't care. Yeah, I think it's normal. And I've talked about it a lot, uh, especially on this podcast. It's like, you know, anxiety is energy. And Mm -hmm. going back and thinking about like, okay, so a parallel are these interviews, right? Like I I always come into them with a lot of energy and anxiety too, because, you know, you want to do well. You Mm -hmm. you, you want to facilitate a great conversation with another person. And if you do poorly, you're like, fuck, I let them down. Um, And... I did one with Sarah Herring and I, mm. this was a few weeks ago and I had just gotten a massage and like I came and I, I was like just so laid back the whole time. Right. And I'm thinking like, Brad, find your energy. <laughs> but like I had no anxiety to use as fuel. Right. Right. Um, and, and as far as like, you know, just making the right play, like this is, I think this is pretty common in poker where, especially if you have a lot of experience, you've been battling mm. a long time. Like I, I've also said this a bunch that, if I'm playing high stakes cash and like a friend of mine gets involved in like a 30 K pot, I get nervous. Like I'm nervous for them, Mm -hmm. but when I'm in the pot, there's nothing like, it's just like nothing matters except for the decision at at hand. Um, the the nerves. I feel the exact same way. Like I have a lot more nervous and anxious anxiety when I'm like railing a good friend of mine at an FT than when I'm playing it myself. Yeah, yeah. Like way more, not even remotely close. Way, way, way more. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, you just get the, you're just in the the flow and you get a a feeling of calm and, you know, you're just making good decisions. But, uh, yeah. Or trying to at least. Well, you're trying, you're trying to make the best decisions you can. So with uh, your your 186K score, congrats, by the way. Thank you. Appreciate Um, it. Let's talk about, so one of the first things I like to talk about is Mm. defining greatness it's uh it's an intangible it's a an abstract term um and i'd like to know what greatness as related to poker what does that mean to you Hmm. i don't really view myself in that fashion i mean well just the pursuit of it right like you're pursuing some sort of yeah obviously like my goal is to just be the best version of me as possible whether in poker life or whatever and constantly try to improve on myself. And, you know, I'm not even necessarily trying to achieve greatness or anything. I'm just trying to do what I love for a living and be as good as I possibly can be at that. And, you know, if that means that I do something pretty cool, that's great. But if I, you know, if I just, you know, grind and make a good living and provide for those that I love, then that's wonderful. That's a win for me. Yeah. Um, Obviously, like, you know, the, there's like some ego part of me that wants to play against some of the best in the world and have good results and yada, 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 yada. But I'm also just a very practical and realistic person and try my best to, you know, do things that I think will just be the best overall long-term and assume that when I am trying to do certain things that the most likely scenario is going to happen. And that kind of keeps me very even keel. Um, It also helps me appreciate when I do do well in things like, you know, going into the series, I had no expectations. I didn't even expect to cash anything. um, And I sold enough of it where if I bricked the whole series, it wasn't really going to matter, you know, 
And, you know, that I did well was super cool. And I really, really do appreciate it. But it was by no means what I expected to happen to any way, shape or form. In fact, there's a 25k element that I could have played yesterday that I just skipped. And it wasn't necessarily because I didn't think I would have an edge in it. Just that I knew I was drawing pretty slim uh, overall on the leaderboard. So the extra 100k in equity wasn't really like a factor for me. Um, not really. I would have had to do exceptionally, exceptionally well between yesterday and today's events and and probably had to play tomorrow's uh, main event. And, you know, because that's just not realistic, I knew that even though it'd be a profitable endeavor for me to do, uh, it's just a variance associated with it isn't high, uh, is way too high to justify what, you know, my edge is going to be and the risk and that kind of stuff. So I just skipped it, which... I know a lot of people, in fact, I don't think that many people would skip it in that spot just because, you know, they've already sold to it. They're already doing well. They're on a good, you know, on a big heater. They've had a great year. They're feeling confident about their game. But to me, that stuff is just like, yeah, that's cool and everything. But just realistically, the most obvious, the most likely scenario is just that, you know, I lose the money and I, I, you know, break the tournament and yada, yada. And, you know, if that's the most likely scenario, you know, the variance associated with it for me, you know, it's high enough that I just don't really care. I've got another big series coming up. In fact, I've got three big series coming up. So, you know, if I'm going to shot take really hard in some big buying events, which I actually am coming up, um, I'd much rather do it in, in events that I know I've got a much larger edge and that I can, you know, produce a good win rate through that and make myself and my investors a lot more money and do so at lower variance and lower risk. Yeah, it's a very pragmatic way of looking of looking at playing cards. Mm. And I'll say too, like there's no shame in greatness just being providing for your family right. and doing something that you love for a living because not many people get the opportunity to do that right. with their lives. So mm-hmm. doing something that, you know, gives you for fulfillment or makes you happy that right. you love doing is, you know, this is like half of happiness in life, right? Right, exactly. And that's how I feel too. It's just that like I'm already doing something that I absolutely love and I don't need to like push for some random, I don't know, existential thing that's not really going to improve my life really. I mean, obviously like doing well in these events will be good for my company and, you know, that's great, but like it's doing well enough that I don't need to like take these really thin high variant spots. And to me, yeah, I guess for me, uh, I guess if you want to count it like this, and for me, achieving greatness is just doing what I love and being able to do it for as long as I possibly can. And, um, you know, some of the stuff that I do love to do is like making training content and helping people improve at the game. You know, I've been coaching since I started playing uh, profitably. So I've been doing it for almost 11 years now. And I've always really, really enjoyed teaching and coaching and helping others, you know, achieve their goals and make money. Um, especially through poker and, you know, being able to do that now in the exact way that I want to and, you know, helping a lot more people than just doing the one-on-ones or, you know, making training videos for like run at once or uh, card runners or float the turn or even doing chip leader coaching, but having control over what gets made, how people get access to it and really doing my best to provide it for as many people as possible. That's also like what I want to do and achieve. And, you know, if I help even just a few extra people, you know, achieve what they want in poker, then 
that to me will make it more than worth it. Yeah, it, there's a lot of autonomy. I mean, I, I've been a run at once coach myself and Cardinals coach, and being able to do your own thing, there's there's a lot of freedom. I think poker players in general, right? We we want the freedom, we want the mm-hmm. autonomy, we don't want anybody really telling us what to do. So doing our own thing sort of makes sense. And the fact mm-hmm. that you're doing it in business, yeah, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. So let's go way back. So let's okay. uh, let's go. Tell me the story. How did you get into playing cards in the first place? So like most. 29-ish year old poker players. I was, uh, you know, watching TV and this little well-known man by the name of Chris Moneymaker won the WSOP main event. And obviously, like, I actually think I, um, anytime WSOP came on TV, I watched it 100% of the time, Um, whether it was an episode I'd seen before or not. And once I started, so this was like, what, 2004, I believe. So yeah, 2004, Moneymaker won. Um, and that's kind of like when I and a bunch of my friends in like junior high all got into poker. And, uh, you know, when we would do like sleepovers or whatever, it would be Halo, poker and football. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, of, you know, playing with that group and stuff, you know, I just really enjoyed the game. And then uh, every year, uh, anytime uh, the World Series would come back on to ESPN, I would rewatch the previous year. So I've seen like 2004 to like 2010, probably. I know so many times, so, so many times. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, I played a video game somewhat competitively as a kid. Um, last games I played actually somewhat competitively was uh, halo, um, halo two and halo three, uh, specifically mostly halo three. And, uh, you know, I, uh, the team that I was with, they wanted to like travel and play big major events and I couldn't get the money to do that. So, uh, that was uh, in 2018, and once I stopped playing, like 2018 Halos, or 2000. Sorry, 2008. Sorry, <laughs> I was going to say, wow, yeah, you, yeah. things no, have been expedited quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was 18, 2008, yeah. and uh, so when that happened, I, you know, I needed something to fill my competitive outlet, and poker just became it. So I was still really into it. When I was 17, like a month before I turned 18, I found out that two plus two uh, forums was a thing. I started reading and studying, and then the day I turned 18, I made my first PokerStars account, uh, my first full money PokerStars account, and then never looked back. I just started grinding and learning and networking and meeting people and getting backed and doing all that stuff. And when uh, Black Friday occurred, I was uh, 20, living in Wisconsin, um, living near an ex, and living with family. And uh, when that happened, I... uh, uh, so right before that, um, I met my current fiance and, um, then when black Friday happened, I didn't really know what I was going to do because I, you know, I had a partner there, I had family there and I was planning on playing like the world series. Uh, so this was 2011, obviously I was planning on playing the world series that year, but was not having online to grind. I didn't know what I was going to do exactly. And then a buddy of mine hit me up and he was like, Hey, I've, you know, you can share a hotel room with me and if you work now towards building, uh, selling a big package, I'm sure you could get that done. So I sold a big package for the summer and went out and my first world series went very well. I final tabled my first event, had some other deep runs and caches. And, uh, when I got back to Wisconsin, I was like, you know, I'm doing very well in this stuff. I would like to keep playing the game professionally, but the only way I'm really going to be able to do that is if I travel outside the U S so I convinced my then boyfriend, now fiance that it would be good if we went up to Toronto <laughs> for six months and uh, so I could play online. 
So we Toronto got in the up, winter time too, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's <a> good so <laughs> we we went up there in like November, and we stayed up there for six months. And uh, the first three months went awfully, like really, 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 really bad. I was my first time like moving up to mid stakes, like truly playing mid stakes online. And I went on like a 40-50k downer. Did you have expectations going into that move? Yeah. Well. I, I really did. I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well. I, you know, cause I was convincing someone to put a lot of faith in me and to trust that I could make a lot of money and to make the move, you know, worth it and make traveling worth it and to do all this stuff. And it just went terribly, like absolutely awfully. And then on top of that, because I was putting so much pressure on myself to do well, that means that I was like tilting and was making it even worse. Like, um, you know, I'd take like a really bad beat deep in something and like slam the desk or whatever, or like break a mouse or whatever. And right. uh, I knew that like my tilt and frustration, the pressure on myself was kind of getting out of hand. So I uh, followed advice from a friend of mine and I stopped watching all ins just entirely. I just... I started stacking tables on top of each other and I would just never watch all ins no matter what. And you, if you shark scope me, you can actually see the exact day I started doing that because once I started doing that, I went on like a hundred thousand dollars straight up swing. So I think the it, next, it, like, yeah, yeah, it's a super clever. Uh, I, I read about you doing that in other places and you know, that's a super clever way to keep the adrenaline in check. Right. Um, while you're playing, you, you don't have these big adrenaline highs and then lows mm-hmm. and deal with the emotions. So yeah, I did, I did find that very, very clever when I read about it. Yeah. When my friend gave me the advice to do, it, I was like, that can't really help, can it? And then it just like, it, I mean, obviously I was running well during that stretch too, but it helped to such a ridiculous degree. Like my entire mindset when I was playing was just a lot more clean and calm and clear. And I was able to play way better. Yeah. Um, so even though I was in this massive downswing, I went from probably playing like tilted and probably pretty poorly to just playing very well and not really caring. And it just helped immensely. So uh, once I like went on that upswing and like we ended up the six months ended up being fine overall, um, I ended up getting a new backers at the end of it and then went back to my next world series and had another FT and then kind of use that to convince uh, my fiance that it'd be worth it just <laughs> traveling and you're get, yada yada. You're getting all the mileage out yeah. of these uh, F- World F- Series F- final yeah, tables, yeah. right? <laughs> yep, they really helped a lot, not going a lot. So uh, we essentially spent four years traveling back and forth between Canada, the Midwest, Mexico, and Las Vegas. And then uh, about four years ago, we, got, uh, we started renting a place full-time in Vegas and then bought a place a couple of years ago. And pretty much haven't really looked back since. Um, and since uh, 2016, it's just been, you know, 2016 was an incredible year for me. I won my bracelet and uh, was leading the WSOP player of the year for like two weeks when even during uh, when uh, Jason Mercier was on that super sick run of like 10 KFTs, I was still staying ahead of him on player of the year because I was just, just like won a bracelet, deep run, deep run, deep run, deep run, deep run. It was just like insane. I had like 13 caches an FT, like six deep runs on, uh, of those caches. And then uh, 2017, I had four final tables that summer, two at the World Series, two outside, and had an incredible year. 2018 was actually the only year of the last like five that I just didn't really have a good year. I'd like, uh, I did have a World Series FT, FT to 2,500, but went poorly. Um, I'd like a bunch of like deep bricks and just everything just went very okay. And then this year has been my best year ever. It's 
been absurd. I mean, since I started, so I started really like buckling down and working on the site in March of this year. Um, that's when like I really started doing my best to churn out content. And then we soft launch in early June. And since March, when I started working on it, I think I have like a million dollars in cash this year and like, I don't know, 600,000 profit maybe. So this year has been very, very good to me. Yeah, you, you've really wanted to promote um, Learn Pro Poker. So you've had to had to make a million dollars in tournaments. <laughs> yeah, that was the only way it was going to happen. So it was nice that it did. Do you think there's any correlation uh, between making the content? I would say some. I mean... A lot of the content I've been making is stuff that I'd already been doing some work on because the stuff that I haven't done a lot of work on in order for me to make content for it, it's a lot of added studying and stuff. Like um, some of the, like the general post-flop content is a lot, lot, lot of work for me. Yeah. Um, but like the pre-flop stuff, I've been like studying and using GTO charts and like looking at Pio and Munker and stuff for a while. So it was more like I went from having a decent idea of what stuff looked like to having a very, very, very good idea and just being a lot more comfortable in pretty much every spot and also being a lot more comfortable with my exploits. Most of my like playing poker because I play in games that are honestly mostly fairly soft. Uh, Any like live tournament that's like 5k and under outside of a couple exceptions during like the summer, these small field high rollers generally tend to be pretty good, great value. And I tend to be able to exploit really hard in terms of my opening ranges, three bet ranges, that kind of stuff. So when I know what GTO looks like to a better degree, it makes me a lot more comfortable with trusting my exploits and just being comfortable in those spots. So that's definitely helped. Also, some of the I've done a lot more post flop work this this year, um, and that just makes me more comfortable versus like good players. But it also makes me a lot more comfortable with like using my exploits and understanding why the, they work the way they do. Before, I'd like an okay idea as to why they work the way they did, but now I've got a very, very, very good idea as to exactly how and why these exploits work and how I'm maximizing them versus different player types and situationally. And also, um, I would say just gaining this like confidence and this degree of comfort just makes me so much more willing to play in a super low-variant style and that just really increases your edge in a lot of different ways, um, especially like running deep in these. What really do you mean by low variance style? So just like not pushing thin edges anymore. Like if I'm looking at a situation where like if I bet the turn, I should be like triple barreling on good river runouts a high percentage of the time. I'm just going to cut back exactly what my range looks like versus certain t- player types. Like if I'm up against a really skilled player, I'm still going to be pushing a lot of these spots, but it's more against weaker opponents. I'm just less willing to play high variance. I'm less willing to double barrel and triple barrel, less willing to like check raise bluff the river, check raise bluff turns, things like that. And uh, even if I like tell most people that I do this kind of stuff, because I do it only really against you know, recreational players or players I don't really have a lot of history with, it doesn't like, it doesn't really matter. And people don't adjust to anywhere near what they need to. And then when I'm playing against really tough players and really tough events, I just play and I think is the most fundamentally strong way that I can and just make sure I'm not open to being exploited. And then if I see them make mistakes, I'll try to do these little exploits and that's about it. I try not to like get too out of line versus good players and just play fundamentally well. And, you know, 
being comfortable between playing fundamentally well versus one person and exploiting incredibly heavily versus another and the exact same game and like being very comfortable constantly shifting against each person at the table and knowing why and how and having it kind of ingrained in the back part of my mind just makes playing way more easy for me, especially live and making these huge adjustments super easy too. So it's not really as exhausting of of an endeavor and I'm able to play at a much higher and more comfortable level. And like coaching more and coaching this stuff more really ingrains it into the back of my mind. So it's definitely just like helping me out in a lot of different ways for sure. Yeah, coaching, you know, when when you're putting something out there for people to consume and you're charging money for it, uh, it's very emotional to get the shit right and do due diligence and do your best. Um, Yes. So you have a lot of motivation, a lot of incentive, and in a weird way, even more motivation and incentive to study and learn than you do if you're just on your own. And Definitely. it only affects your tournament. So I've heard from a number of people, Jack Lasky being uh, one of them that comes to mind, mm-hmm. about how teaching people just is like a, a hack for improving your game, creating training Definitely. material and teaching people. Going back to those, those three or four years that you spent traveling, do you have any favorite stories of that time? Um, so, uh, you know, old stars back in the day, uh, they had a frequent player point system. and these frequent player points they often ran satellites to some of their big major live series and uh i saw like i was like nearing the end of a session and i saw this like 500 frequent player point satellite probably worth like i don't know maybe four bucks or something like that whatever something around there and uh i thought that it was going to overlay it ended up not overlaying but the only reason why i played is because i thought it might overlay so i hopped in end of my session and then i won a 5k frequent player point seat and then i hopped in the 5k frequent player point seat the next day and i won my way into a 25k frequent player point seat and then the 25k frequent player point seat uh, it was like a tournament where there's like 300 entries and the top two won ept grand final packages and end of the story is <laughs> i won an ept grand final package worth like twenty thousand dollars from 500 frequent player points it's like the um, old uh, party poker step system. Yeah, exactly. Uh, way back in the day. You just yeah. kept laddering up. And that's exactly what I did. And um, honestly, at the time, that score was the largest piece of any single win I'd had. <laughs> I had all of it. You know, yeah. in the past, I was always selling action or I was deep in makeup. Like I'd bink something and I'd be like X deep in makeup and I'd get like 10 grand of it or 15 grand of it. So this was like, <clears throat> at the time was the most I'd gotten of any single score. And it was from 500 frequent player points in a satellite that I only played because I thought it might overlay. It. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Funny how life works out sometimes. Your little little $5, uh, $5 tournament turns into how much did you say? Uh, like 20 grand. It was 20K. like a $4 tournament, satellite <laughs> into a satellite into a satellite. And yeah, shipped. that yeah. is awesome. But yeah, I that like time, like from 2003, uh, I would say from like 2011 through 2015 was mostly like lots of just like trials and tribulations, lots of like getting buried in makeup and like grinding out and working hard on my game and dealing with like the stress of traveling around a lot and providing for myself and another person. And I had so many like close calls to big scores where like I would make a final table and like, seventh place would like clear makeup and I would take eighth 
like over and over and over and over and over when like first place would be 200 grand or 300 grand and I would get like a hundred thousand if I want it. And that just like constantly happened. And, uh, you know, obviously like it would, it'd be absurdly, absurdly frustrating. And, but like the way in which I was approaching my grind and everything that I was always like getting by in terms of making bill payments and paying for a lifestyle and doing that kind of stuff. But I always felt as though I was like on the edge of like, just like barely scraping by. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not ruined, but more just like getting super buried again, um, getting super deep in makeup. And multiple times, like during that stretch, because I'd like borrow for living expenses occasionally and that kind of stuff, I'd be like in only a 20K downer online, but I'd be like 50 or 70K in makeup just from, you know, essentially taking out prepayments ahead of time um, and having to like grind through that. And, uh, you know, how did that feel going through that? It's got to be tough. It was always like just like really difficult. But like, I also knew that you know, part of doing what I wanted for a living that this was kind of what I signed up for. And if I at any point wasn't really okay with it, that I could just back out and pursue something else. And I just at no point did that seem like even a realistic option, just because I still loved the game, even though I was like, legitimately struggling and barely getting by. I was still doing lots of things that I still really wanted to do, you know, still, you know, playing online. I was still playing these, you know, decent sized live schedules, still playing full world series events and doing well enough to get by was honestly enough for me at the time, even if it was high stress. And even if, you know, even if it put like strain on my relationship and that kind of stuff, I was very single-mindedly, you know, that this was what I wanted to do and achieve. And I was very fortunate that, you know, that my partner, that my fiance was willing to be by me during these tough times. Cause I'm sure it was harder on him than what it was on me, you know, constantly barely getting by and yeah, seeing somebody who loves suffering and yeah. not being able to do anything about it. Right. Tough. But like once we moved to Vegas and started to really settle down here and I found, you know, I started focusing a lot more on either playing cash and coaching more. And, you know, that's when I first got uh, that's when I got my first job for uh, running once um, and I was playing the online sites here and I was being a lot more careful in terms of playing tournaments and having balance in other like income forms where we weren't doing well but we were always covering everything without real problems and you know once I like hit that stage here and we hit just like you know, we started to just settle into a good routine here and build friends and do all that kind of stuff. Um, that's when I also started to, you know, run well. And, you know, I also, you know, four years ago, something else that coincided with all this stuff was uh, actually, I want to say Munker came out and Pile Solver came out around four years ago, uh, four and a half years ago, right around there. And that's also when, you know, people really started to work with them, especially uh, the guys that backed me that's when they really started putting tons and tons of work into their game using those programs and then teaching me what they learned from them. Um, I've been backed by Team 651. Uh, Jackstack99 is the main backer. He, uh, he's one of the best heads of hyper players in the world, if not the best, um, and just one of the best all-around poker players and people that I know in the industry. And um, with, with those programs, he really just became just such a monster of a player. He was already very good before, one of the best, but gaining access to, you know, GTO calculators 
helped your game to such an immense degree. And, you know, he put in a lot of foundational work and then helped out my game with it. And then as more of my friends and stuff really started to use these programs and get really good at it, then I started learning through osmosis of asking them hands and just really working hard and improving my game. And, you know, that's honestly why my last, you know, four years of results have happened is honestly because of Pio and Munker. It really is because of those, which is pretty insane. And there's a lot of things to a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different things, working things going, going around there too. It's like mm-hmm. traveling is stressful. Um, right. constantly traveling, stressful on the body, hard to get in a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself like I go to bed like an old man at 10 PM every single <laughs> night. But if I go to a poker tournament, like what can I do? I can't. And mm-hmm. the, the, the tournament breaks at like midnight. And then I've got so much adrenaline that I'm like, oh, I want to eat something. And then I don't get to bed until like two or 3 AM. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm just useless the whole next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being able to go home and yeah that helps immensely having like having your own place to come back to and relax especially during the summer like having your own house here makes a huge difference in like your total mindset and everything and your energy levels the next day you know coming home to your dog and your partner makes a huge difference in terms of you know just like taking a brutal beat at the end of the day driving home 30 minutes being okay when you get home but like when you get home and it's your partner and your dog in your own bed waiting for you, then it's a way better feeling when you wake up the next day to repeat and do it again than if you come home to like just some a place you're renting. Yeah, some random hotel room or Airbnb. Right. So what, what does your routine look like at the end of the day? Like if you are traveling, um, how do you get your brain to switch off? How do you deal with the adrenaline of poker tournaments to get yourself up to go kick ass the next day? So uh, my... Ha- like my general strategy actually is to listen to audiobooks. Okay. When I fall asleep at the end of the night, I have an audiobook in the ear. Um, I generally use Audible and I'll just like put on a 30 minute sleep timer. And I would say the majority of the time I fall asleep before that because instead of my brain going back through analyzing every hand I played and every decision and like, you know, beating myself up and things I think are close mistakes or whatever, instead I'm just focusing on the book and. I'm able to fall asleep very quickly because of that. Less room for rumination. That's, yeah, that's clever. Exactly. What do you listen to? Um, so I'm a big sci-fi fantasy nerd. Uh, okay. Like, uh, yeah, me I too. just finished one of the uh, Joe Amber Crombie's uh, latest uh, book, first part of a series. Another series I listened to recently was uh, the second trilogy of the Red Rising by uh, Pierce Brown. Um, I think it's best modern sci-fi series. Oh, really? Hands down, it is wonderful series uh red rising yeah i do a lot of like classic sci-fi too like uh robert Robert heinlein spider robinson ben bova like all those types of guys and a lot of all fiction a lot of of fiction mostly just sci-fi fantasy um that's generally just my go-to yeah i've been on like a brandon sanderson kick Uh, brandon sanderson is great um i really 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 enjoy his stuff um he uh, finished up one of my favorite series, The Wheel of Time, and he grew so much as an author finishing that series that his all of his late newer stuff is just wonderful. Yeah, um, and Stormlight, Stormlight, yeah, Archive. Stormlight Archive is great. And uh, I've met him in person; he's a really nice guy too. I believe that he he's a Mormon, right? So he he's, he's very <laughs> he's just like straight up a nerd. He loves what he does. <laughs> he loves the fans. He loves everything about it, and he's just such a down to earth night nice person that it's really easy to read his work and pay him money for it. 
Yeah. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss is another one. Yeah. Uh, the Name of the Wind that I, yeah. I've probably read three. I've read more than is healthy um, <laughs> at this point. And also me and my wife listen to it in audiobook format. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Do you feel like you're spending a ton of time trying to improve your game, but just aren't seeing the fruits from your labor that you feel you ought to be? Or maybe between work, family, friends, hobbies, and the latest episodes of The Watchmen, you feel like you just don't have extra time laying around to invest into dramatically improving your poker game. What if you could skyrocket your growth and gain clarity on exactly where you're going wrong in a fraction of the time it would take you to figure it out on your own? There's a quote I absolutely love that describes why it will always take you much longer to learn on your own versus having a coach. Quote, you can always tell who the pioneers are because they have arrows in their back and are lying face down in the dirt. End quote. What if, instead of poker being this giant nut that feels virtually impossible to crack, you've been following the path of most resistance simply because you've never had a trusted guide to show you an easier way? How much time, money, and energy is it going to cost you to find poker success all by yourself? Instead, let me, Coach Brad, be your guide. In our sessions together, I'll help you discover a proven path that will dramatically improve your poker game and change the way you approach playing cards. Because my number one priority is to make myself readily available to my students, I require them to commit to a minimum of one coaching session per week, and I will only be accepting up to six students at any given time. So if you're ready to break through the struggles and commit to reaching poker greatness, you can sign up for coaching sessions with me at enhanceyouredge.com slash coaching. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash coaching. Thank you very much for your time and enjoy the rest of the show. So you mentioned you had a tilt problem, yep. uh, smashing the keyboards. And yep. from your interviews, I get the sense uh, that mindfulness is most likely a part of your day-to-day. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Could you tell me about finding mindfulness and then its impact on your poker um, game? So honestly, one of the uh, main people that have helped me out the most way back in the day. Oh, Tommy Angel. There we go. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, his. Uh, so I read that book. Um, this is probably like 2000 and maybe 11 or so. I read the book the first time because I knew I had bad tilt issues and yada, yada. And then I also started reading his blog. Um, he has a, a had a really good blog at his website, TommyAngelo.com. And um, I was just going through his blog posts. And um, one of the posts, uh, which is really silly, but it's, it really was just about like mindfulness and stuff. And I was like laying in bed one night and you know, I was thinking about the post. I probably read it earlier that day. And you know, I just started thinking about how absurdly like privileged our generation is in terms of like, like for, for instance, um, something that's very obvious and very clear in my life is being openly gay. If I was openly gay 25 years ago, especially as a public figure, it would not go well, not at all. Even in the U S it'd go very, very poorly. In fact, I mean, it, it, it only became federally legal to marry, you know, to become gay married in, you know, most states, what, three and a half years ago. That's it. Three and a half years ago. In fact, it is still not just illegal to, 
you know, to have a gay marriage, but it is illegal to be gay in about 80 countries right now, just straight up illegal. Um, and it is death penalty in, I want to say 15 or 20 countries, like actual death penalty. If you come out as gay and, you know, being in a society, being part of a society where I can be that and also be successful. And not only that, but also have try to have at least a positive impact with this platform that, you know, having that amount of privilege, I'm very, very thankful for. Um, obviously, it was, you know, it's very difficult growing up and that kind of stuff. But we've made such huge grounds on stuff like that, that, you know, we just live in one of the most privileged times of human history. And it's and obviously, it's not everything's perfect. And, you know, there are plenty of things going wrong in the world. And there are plenty of issues. But there are plenty of things that, you know, living where we do and having access to what we have, that we are just ridiculously privileged. And, you know, I was laying there and had that thought. And it just switched me from thinking about, you know, before that, I was probably generally focused on what I wanted or could have and what I wasn't getting to instead going and thinking about what I do have and what I'm thankful for. Yeah, so like a, during the summer, it's much easier now for me during the summer to be very focused, happy and thankful and grinding my best game because what I'll do is I'll have my bracelet sitting next to my bed every morning when I wake up. So when I wake up, that's the first thing I see. And then that's what I'm focusing the rest of my day around is trying to win again and just being thankful that I already have and, you know, thankful for all the stuff that I have going well for me in life. Do you and have a daily... Daily gratitude yeah, practice. Exactly. And um, I don't meditate or do stuff like that. But anytime I even start to feel remotely tilted or frustrated or anything, I just remind myself of everything going well in my life. And also um, something else is when I'm playing like some of these really big events, especially like over the last couple of years, I've gotten more used to playing really big stuff. You know, like I played the 50K this summer at the World Series and busted in 30 minutes. Um, and like, you know, I've done some pretty cool things and achieved some pretty awesome stuff. But like, uh, when I was playing poker masters, I, as often as I realistically could reminded myself of where I was and what I was doing and how many people would just love to have the opportunity to even be in this situation. And that, you know, made me a lot more happy no matter what happened. And I just honestly didn't care. I lost, a. Sean Winter and I in the 25K PLO, we played this monster, monster pot for chip lead really early. And it was like a 300 big blind pot at BB2K for like four starting stacks or something like that. And uh, I lost it and didn't even feel the minimalist ounce of frustration or annoyance or anything. And that pot was still worth a lot of money. It was worth a ton of money, especially because, you know, I would have been in a great spot to run deep and cash and and have a shot jacket and so on and so forth. And I didn't care in the least. And, you know, when I was doing poorly to start, I also just didn't really care when I, you know, it's obviously it's so easy for me now being at a place of privilege to just not get frustrated, but it's also still takes, you know, just a constant reminder of what I do have and what's going well. And even like, even if you back up to four years ago, before I won my bracelet and went on this, you know, really sick heater and everything. I was in a way, way, way better mindset than um, what I was before, just constantly being thankful for the fact that I, even though I wasn't successful, you know, that I 
fact that I could still do what I love for a living, which was, you know, play poker and do coaching and make content and that kind of stuff. Even if it wasn't going great like it is now, I was doing well enough that I was still legitimately happy, even when I was mostly broke. And, you know, this, this last, you know, especially this last year, this last six months, you know, I feel very, very, very fortunate and thankful for it. And, you know, to me, I've, I've hit like a degree of success and comfort that it, I don't really care anymore about how run I will or anything like that it's, or how well I run. It's not <laughs> going to impact or change my lifestyle or anything really. Just, you know, I'll go from having things, you know, very well to having them slightly better. So it doesn't matter. And that just gives me a sense of freedom and happiness and everything that I can focus on just doing what I love to even a higher degree and helping, you know, helping a family and friends and help others achieve this degree of success and happiness. And uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. I really, yeah, it's been very, very wonderful. uh, I mean, there's this giant difference in looking up at all the things that we could have that we Mm -hmm. want, all the missed opportunities, uh, the things we want to get better, the, the the things we want to do better at, right? Um, instead of looking down and realizing all the things that we have in our life that right. we ought to be grateful for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just the, t- the the lifespan of a human being um, compared to eternity is just a blip, right? Um, so just being able to have awareness and a beating heart, exactly. having a memory to to you know some of the our the favorite times in our life, just. Having a memory, right? This is yeah, something to exactly. be grateful for. It's um, very, I definitely agree fully. And, uh, you know, obviously there are people who are in really, really, really bad spots right now who have a lot less than what we do to be thankful for. But I'm there's sure people that have a lot thing. more and, yeah, and exactly. are not thankful, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that's one of the biggest things is that being successful by itself, if you're unhappy now, won't really fix anything. It, if anything, it can exasperate those problems. Like, you know, I've seen people go on these insane heaters, essentially achieve everything they want and be completely miserable. And Oh yeah, it's a real like, thing. Hunt it all away. And it's it's more about yeah, just being thankful and gratefulness and that kind of stuff. You know, mindfulness really. And that's yeah, that's really helped me out immensely. Hey. Um I think before if I hadn't had this like mindset change that I like part of the issue is that especially poker players, we tend to have really big egos. Um, I, I definitely have a lot big ego. I know I do. And um, I think it's, it's really important to keep it realistic and in check and to not go after things with that ego. Most people are very egos, you know, egocentric in the sense that their ego tells them they want something. And if they don't have it, then, you know, they feel as though they're lacking. Yeah. But generally it's the last piece have- to perfection. Yeah, exactly. But instead, what ends up happening is they achieve this thing that their ego tells them, oh, if you get this, it'll be wonderful. It'll be everything you ever wanted. And you'll achieve it and it'll feel great for a moment or maybe a day. And then your ego will still be hungry for these other things. And you'll go back to being not happy or even being miserable. And, you know, if you like I still want to achieve a lot in the game. The ego in me still exists. It's still saying, "Hey Ryan, you could, you know, win another bracelet. You could, you know, hit 10 million in earnings. You could so on and so on and so forth." And yeah, I'm still going to be working towards those things and I would still love to have more success in the game and industry, but whether I do or don't isn't going to impact how happy I am. They're, they're just things I want to achieve. 
you know, if I achieve them, great. If I don't, okay. You know, at least I gave it a shot. At least I tried my best to do it. At least I gave myself the opportunity to, to achieve all those things. And to me, that is success to, to, to have just the opportunity to put myself there, to be willing to like risk it all and fail and have that be okay. You know, that's, you know, that to me is achieving that stuff. And, you know, when I, stop focusing on my happiness being relative to just was I successful instead just being thankful for what I have well in a poker huge, tournament huge huge yeah. difference huge difference just and poker poker aspect. can just screw you up anyway because it's like yeah. you, you make good decisions and bad things happen you make bad decisions and good things happen and it's all right. kind of relative at the end of the day exactly um, I remember reading a Daniel Negreanu blog a while a while back decade plus and he he had mentioned this like depression that he he had realized he would go through like a week or so after winning a major mm-hmm. poker tournament, and you know I've heard this from Olympic athletes that I've talked to that I've interviewed that Olympic athletes they struggle you know they right. they win a gold medal and then it's like what next right like their right. whole life has been driving to this one moment one goal yeah. and then they get there and it's like oh shit like they a lot of them have heart attacks a lot of them lay on the couch and mm. eat Doritos and just don't know what to do with their lives right. so it sounds like you have a lot of healthy um, emotional goals right. and um, your self-worth is not dependent on you know whether yeah. or not you bink a final table or not yeah. I mean, I don't like how I view my game or how I view any aspect of my life doesn't really like whether I ran well this year or not, I still would have viewed myself and my game the exact same way. And, you know, a, hitting that point has been years of hard work of making sure I'm constantly thinking of what I'm thankful for and what I'm working towards and, you know, what I want and what's realistic and just having a an overall balanced view of everything. And the fact that like, my, you know, fiance isn't in poker really at all and keeps helps keep me grounded, you know, and that I have lots of other friends and family that also help keep me very grounded as well that, you know, I just realized what I have already is so, you know, wonderful and amazing that, you know, whether I get these added things or not just doesn't matter. And that was true even before this recent six month heater. You know, I was definitely in a way better mindset than any point ever in my life. And honestly, I'd just say it's entirely because of thankfulness and just being mindful. And it definitely makes a lot of sense to me that people who are single-minded and who are very goal-oriented, that once they achieve that goal, that they kind of feel lost. Because, you know, when you're working so hard towards one thing, you know, winning a bracelet, winning a title, winning a gold medal, doing whatever, then when it happens and it's over with, your brain still wants to achieve something else, something better, something greater. And that's, you know, for people who are very egocentric, that that's what happens is that they go through that. They hit that extreme high moment and then they need to re-chase it or they need to feel as though they have something to work for. And obviously having something to work for, I think is important for most people. And most people do need some type of goal or thing that they're working on. But part of the issue is some people need a better thing than what they just achieved to work on. But when you hit the top, where, you know, where do you have to go? What's, what do you have to achieve? And I also feel as though that that's probably why something like Twitch poker is such a high, like turnover rate. Um, You see some of the top streamers and stuff who hit, like they hit the top spot and they stream there for a little bit. And then they end up dying off and quitting because once they hit the top spot, there's nothing else for them to really work for. So I think lots of people who, 
end up being super goal oriented. One of the nice things is that, yeah, you're probably slightly more apt to achieve that exact one thing than people who are more like mindful and thankful just because you're so much more driven to achieve it. But that comes at a huge cost to your overall happiness and and mindfulness. And, you know, you end up being happy when you're trying to achieve the thing to some degree and also kind of unhappy because you haven't gotten it. Then when you do have it, you just, you stop having something to work for and that kind of crushes you. So I've been lucky that I've surrounded myself with the right type of people who also approach things with this mindset. I mean, the guy that's backed me for the longest time, Jack Stack and Team 651, he has the best mindset of any person I've ever met. I've, you know, I've seen him have like minus 100K days and I can't tell the difference between that and a plus 100K day. I can't tell the difference at all whatsoever, which is just insane to have that degree of just self-control and understanding of, you know, everything really to, you know, it's emotional intelligence too. And I I do, you know, I've, like I said, you know, I listened to some of your other interviews and you mentioned one thing that resonated with me a lot. And it's that the goal is not to be a robot, right? Like emotions drive us. We are emotional creatures. We're going to have emotions. You can't uh, extinguish that flame. Mm -hmm. And if you try, it's not going to lead to good things just in your life in general. So, you know, when you say that about your backer, I'm going to assume that like he's put in a lot of time, yeah, uh, he definitely a lot of has. mental game time, a lot of energy and just dealing with the emotions, right? Like, mm. you know, feeling them, like you should always feel them, right. um, have awareness that they're there and then let them go and don't, yeah. don't suppress them. Um, that can yeah, lead I feel to a lot so of bad things. Way too many people see these like elite players at the top of the game and assume that, they're either A, robots, or B, they view them as kind of robots and want to achieve that for themselves. And I think that that's very unhealthy. I think that it's unrealistic for most people to be able to you know, achieve something like that and not feel something, you know, or like, you know, play poorly and not feel bad about it or, or play incredibly well and win a tournament and not feel incredibly good about it. Like, um, I was like essentially in tears when I won Poker Masters because... I was just so thankful and grateful to even have the opportunity to play with the people, to make the final table, and then to have that degree of success that I was just overcome with emotion. And, you know, I don't regret that at all. I think that it's a very good thing. And I still occasionally get frustrated, not very much. And it takes a lot to even annoy me to a minor degree. But, you know, I still occasionally put a lot of pressure on myself to do well, especially to play well. That's when I get the most frustrated with myself. If I like make a, a make a decision in a spot that afterwards I look back and go, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? How did the old you react when you played badly versus you now? Like you maybe, you know, seven or eight years ago. I think that person didn't really even know like how well they were really playing. They kind of just like, I just kind of assumed back then that I was playing well. And now I have like a much more even keel view of my game and the decisions I make. And I'm a lot more willing to like face criticism from it and, you know, analyze it in an honest fashion that when I do play poorly, I'm a lot rougher on myself than I was back then. And back then when I like knew when I played poorly, I was 
really, really brutal on myself just because I, you know, wanted to achieve certain things so badly. And again, I was very egocentric. I was, you know, trying to achieve these things and wasn't thinking of mindfulness or thankfulness or any of that stuff. And that drastically impacted just my overall happiness and how well I was playing in every aspect of of my life. You know, one of the things about poker is that it it's a wonderful tool in the sense that if you learn the lessons that it tries to teach, you will be a much happier and successful all around human being. But if you aren't willing and able to learn those lessons, that it can kind of destroy you to some degree. Um, it's a very, it's like, uh, you know, kind of being pushed into a river, not being able to swim at the start. Like you either are able to swim and learn how to swim and survive and thrive and grow, or you try to, or if you already have a destructive mindset and personality and that kind of stuff, and you aren't able to learn the lessons that it teaches, that while it is a game and industry that I really, really love and enjoy, it is also one that if you let it, it will completely and totally destroy you, which obviously is unfortunate. But it kind of means that the people who are successful and want to be successful in the game can, you know, overall become better people, I think, through it. And, you know, I've met so many wonderful and amazing people through the game. And I feel as though that many of them will agree with me that, you know, the upsides of the game on the lessons it teaches you are amazing and it can really help you grow as a human being and have just a better overall mindset and viewpoint on life. Not not that I'm necessarily saying that, you know, people who make it in poker are these great people or are incredibly intelligent or any of that stuff. More just that the game itself can teach you great things about who you are as a person and about, you know, just life in general, if you are able to have that type of mindset and approach about it. And it was, you know, years of heartache and frustration and, you know, pain and disappointment to achieve, you know, to, to go through all that, to achieve it. But now that I'm here, I'm very, very grateful that I went through those struggles because I feel as though if I didn't struggle the way that I had, that I probably wouldn't have achieve this type of mindset and approach that, you know, if it wasn't too easy for me, in fact, that's actually something that I've seen is that, you know, I've seen people that back in the day had this wonderful degree of success and it kind of, it went to their egos and they expected it to continue. And then when it didn't, you know, it just devastated them, it crushed them. And, you know, a lot of people who have gone through that dealt with things like alcoholism or depression or substance abuse, which you definitely see and hear a lot of throughout the poker industry. But, you know, when you struggle a lot more and you're working towards these things and you're really, really needing to battle through, then when you do have some degree of success, you feel it was much easier for me as, you know, a 26-year-old to handle success than if I was 21. And instead of, so um, I actually think that uh, on my first final table, that taking eighth was the best thing that could have happened to me. You know, I was 21 years old. First place was $550,000. And I would have had enough of it that I would have been able to like have my own bankroll and all that stuff. And I went into the final table, super short stack. I was like nine out of nine uh, on the official FT. 
before we hit eight handed, I was chip lead. So I was one out of nine. And then I took eighth. And I think I honestly strongly believe that that was the best thing that could have happened to me because it, you know, gave me the hunger to know that I could like get there and achieve things and that it wasn't just some pipe dream that I wasn't just some, you know, kid punting around. I mean, I was, but (laughs) it made me think that I wasn't to enough of a degree that, you know, that it was worth working for. And, you know, the years of frustration and difficulty, you know, gave me kind of that hope that I could work through all of it and, you know, achieve what I wanted to. And, you know, not having that success that I wanted for years, really, that, you know, it, when I did start to do well at all, I ended up being a lot more thankful and grateful for it, especially with the help of, you know, stuff like Elements of Poker, Tommy's blog. Uh, Jared Tendler also has, you know, a couple of really good books about, you know, playing your A plus game and having that type of mindset and the differences between your A and B games. And, you know, there's, a lot of really good just mindset, you know, information in the game and a lot of people that have the right type of mindset and have the right type of approach. And, you know, surrounding myself with those type of people, you know, really helped me immensely in terms of actually achieving both the things that I want in the game, but also having the right type of mindset. So when I did achieve it, that I was able to just be, you know, completely grateful for it and not expect, you know, to do well. Like I honestly have no expectations for the next year. I could do well or not. I'm going to play as much stuff as I can and I'm going to use like proper bankroll management and sell tons of action and work on the site and work towards all these things. And yeah, there are things I would love to achieve. Like I would love for the site to have a thousand active members. That'd be wonderful. But like if we don't hit it, I don't care. It's not going to like negatively impact me. I'm just going to keep making the best content that I can and keep provide and working on my game as hard as I can and playing the best stuff that I can. And if it goes well, great. But if it goes poorly, that's completely okay. I have no expectations and not having true expectations towards success, you know, continued success, I guess you should say that it makes me a lot more open to just things going poorly and adapting to it instead of just having my ego locked onto, oh, I've done these things in the past, thus I should continue to do these things. And instead, it's just, you know, variance happens, life happens, things change. And I just want to make sure I have an honest outlook and approach and then, you know, go from there. And I think that this mindset and change has been by far the best thing I've picked up from the game, more so than, you know, any other aspects of it, more so than being you know, financially successful, this type of mindset has by far been the best thing I've picked up from the game to a ridiculous degree. Yeah, it's growth by fire. And yeah, exactly. It's growth by fire. And you're able to savor it too, especially when you struggle, um, had early struggles, you, you savor the later victories. And mm-hmm. I would say what probably uh, ruined multi-table tournaments for me, just in general, was playing on party poker, the 200 uh, sit and goes and going like 22 yeah. without winning one. And you're like, holy shit. Like, even if I make it through a field, I yeah. still have to win a sit and go like at the end. And, you know, I can lose 22 of these in a row. Um, so it's just super high variance. And, um, you, you mentioned something else too, about, you know, the journey, like going to these places and like you go to a poker tournament, it's not successful monetarily. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have all these experiences, you meet amazing people, you go out to dinner, you have fun, you spend time with friends. So you come back home with less money, but did you really lose? Like, is it really a negative experience? And just, 
by putting so much value into the monetary result, it just it, it just hurts your life so so right. much. And I agree uh, fully. We 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 didn't talk about this, so you don't know. But I'm actually uh, having Tommy on, I believe Friday. He just booked uh, yeah. it today. Yeah. Sweet. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try to talk him into the live stream on Friday. We'll see. So let's uh, let's talk about Learn Pro Poker. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about your why. You know, you you've mentioned that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. You had right. uh, you wanted to get into that a little more, and this is. This is is this your first foray into like it just being you your own thing into yeah. a subscription um, site? So I have a co-founder with me, but he handles all the business and backend stuff. He I actually met him playing poker in Wisconsin. Uh, I I'm pretty confident I met him the night I turned 21 because <laughs> uh, you know when Black Friday happened, it was uh, April 11, 2011, and I turned 21 one month later. So that one month was me anxiously waiting to turn 21 so I could play live cash and get in live practice before playing my first World Series as a 21-year-old. And I walked into those doors literally the minute I turned 21 and went to the poker room and sat down. I'm 90% certain that I met him that night. Wow. And uh, he, was like more of a, he was like more of a business guy than a poker player, but he played a lot. And he was a profitable player even, um, even back then. And uh, he started a chess training site about five, six years ago with a chess grandmaster that he's good friends with. And uh, they started to have some success and were doing very well and seeing good growth. And at that same time, about five years ago, he approached me and was like, hey, Ryan, you know, I've started this chess training site, but you know, chess can't really make a lot of money in it. Poker though, you can make a lot of money in it. And he knew that I'd done work with uh, Float to Turn and Card Runners at the time. And I just didn't feel comfortable or confident enough anywhere to any near degree to go on my own, you know, because when you're working on your own, it's really just like launching the site was a huge amount of anxiety for me Um, (laughs) just because like, it's just me, you know, and if it's not good, that is fully on me. And, you know, when you're putting yourself out there and saying that this is content that you should be learning from, you're really putting yourself up for criticism in terms of the content not being good or it being wrong or so on and so forth. So he'd approached me five years ago and, and wanted to do a site with me. And I was just like not interested at all because I didn't feel anywhere near confident doing it. Um, and then I won my bracelet. So three years ago, three and a half years ago, and he approached me again. And at the time, you know, I'd done work for run it once and I had a lot more confidence and comfortableness in my game, but I still felt as though I was lacking a lot. But then the last couple of years, you know, putting all this work into the GTO aspects of my game, really working with, you know, solvers a lot. But I still feel as though I have a long ways to go in terms of working on my game and improving as a player. But the fact that I've started doing this work and became a lot more comfortable and, you know, saw what other content was out there and knew that there was lots of things that were lacking. I really enjoyed the general content and approach that Raise Your Edge and the Upswing Masterclass have. I think they both have, they both do certain things very, very well. They both have very, very high quality content. Same with uh, Run It Once. Run It Once, you know, I was willing to work with them. I think Galfon's one of the few people in the industry that I'm actually still a fan of. He is just a great person. A lot why why are you not a fan of other people in the industry? I like a lot of people in the industry and I, you know, have a lot of respect for a lot of people in the industry, but he's like one of the few people that has really helped the test of time, you know, I've played the games at the highest stakes, been a wonderful coach and ambassador, 
and been very successful with Run It Once and have done everything in the right fashion. And he's still someone that I just really, really look up to um, and have done my best to model my own approach in business and poker in that fashion. Um, definitely someone that I want to try to, you know, uh, model my approach with everything and try my best to just do right by players and investors and and everything. So that, you know, two years ago when I really started working on, you know, streamers or sorry, solvers and stuff and, you know, really working hard on my game, I started to get a lot more comfortable with, you know, willing to go on my own. And um, he'd approached me again about, yeah, I guess it was two years ago, two years ago, maybe like this month to, uh, or maybe it was like September or whatever. Um, he, he was like really hard nose on wanting to do it. And I <laughs> give you the hard like, sell now. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Let's see how the next summer goes. Let's see how the next year goes. We'll see like how, what time I have and that kind of stuff. And then, um, I still wasn't as set on doing it, but then, um, I'd like an okay summer and an okay year. And I just, I've been working really, really hard on my game. And then, um, last, uh, so a year and a couple months ago, I, was finally at the point of, you know what, I'm willing to do this. Let's start making this into a reality. So we started, officially started the company uh, 14 months ago. And then I found time to start working on the site uh, last, uh, this February. And then I like, I would say from last September to February was me just planning content, figuring out what types of videos I wanted to do, how I wanted to lay it out and why I wanted it laid out like that. Like how to build the general approach, philosophy, that kind of stuff. Which is shockingly I, hard, by the way. Yeah, it's especially like um, giving you an idea. The initial plan that I had uh, included a hundred videos in terms of content that I wanted to make, and it's now longer than that. So I've got lots and lots and lots of content coming that I know I'm going to be working on and building, and it's all structured and relates to each other. There's no <laughs> like theory video that I'm making that has overlaps in any way. The hand history reviews and hand examples have overlapped just because you're reviewing a tournament, there's going to be overlap with previous terms you've, you know, done. Of really, yeah, it's always going to happen. But in terms of like the actual theory content, I don't want any overlap whatsoever. I want you to be able to watch a video and that is brand new content to you or it's, you know, new content for you on the site. So then I started really making content in March and I knew that it'd be a lot of work, but <laughs> if you told me it'd be this amount of work, I'd have been <laughs> kind of surprised. Um, I'll give you an idea. Each minute of theory content on there is minimum two hours of work for me just to make the video. Just for my side of it. I don't do any of the editing or anything either. Just like writing out the video, making PowerPoints, you know, doing the recording, redoing the recording, editing it down a tiny bit, and then sending it to my editor. That just by itself is two hours per minute of video. So I just did a, uh, put a, up a video there recently, our latest theory video is a turn video. That was a 14 minute video that was like 35 hours of work just on me making the video itself. Not even, doesn't count the studying and stuff I did leading up to it, the solves I had to run, any of that stuff. Uh, if you count all that, it was probably 80 to 100 hours of work just for that video. And I want to make, make a point here too about this, this whole thing. Um, I think that a lot of times poker players, just people in general, can look at different poker services as like mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. They don't really have to be. 
you can buy a Razor Edge course and you can also go right. to Learn Pro Poker and you can have a run at once and also mm -hmm. have Learn Pro Poker. You don't need to choose one or the other, but right. just hearing you, you know, it, it shines through the amount of care and effort and just how you thought about approaching the project in the first place, just saying no five years yeah. ago because you weren't ready, right? I think that says a lot about mm. the value that folks can get by hopping on there and paying it's i think right now it's 25 dollars a month yeah and then it's going to be 40 in a few days mm -hmm. um 40 a month but like you know 40 bucks a month i mean how much do you really need to learn to for that to be a profitable investment into your tournament game moving forward and i think it's pretty clear you're not just looking for a quick buck um yeah you're really invested in in the value exactly. aspect of the content which mm -hmm. which matters a lot so to me, like, yeah, there are a lot of poker training sites, some more reputable than others, but it doesn't have to be a mutually exclusive thing. And poker players, definitely more than most other people, should be investing into themselves mm -hmm. regularly and learning from other people's perspectives. Exactly. Um, I actually think that my site works the best in conjunction with a site like DTO, Dom Theory Optimal. Uh, it's Dominic Nietzsche's uh, GTO like training app an app like that an app like a uh, snap shove for like pre-flop shoving ranges and that kind of stuff and then also joining a site like run at once because i feel as though that when you're mixing these things so our site is built on like teaching you the basic fundamentals of how to build gto ranges why they look the way they do explaining the thought process that goes behind it and then explaining exploits dto is just here, this is what GTO is, and it doesn't teach you anything about how to use it or why it works the way it does or any of that. It's just like a, a kind of a quiz app where you put in a, an, uh, it gives you a situation, you put in an answer, and then it says how bad of a mistake that answer was. But it doesn't <laughs> like build the ranges or anything like that. Um, they just came out with a, a new version of it where uh, their high roller version is like 30 bucks a month, where it'll tell you to what degree in chip equity it's a mistake and frequencies for each of the hands and show you the full ranges. So that, that'll be a way powerful tool. So using those, using mine to build like the basic fundamentals, then using something like that to really just hammer in what GTO actually looks like will be a really good, you know, combo to go together because I think for most people, just like looking at what GTO is, they won't be able to use it. It's, it, it, you need a fundamental foundation for your game to work off of, and you need a framework for your mind to think about and approach things. And once you have that, then using something like that, and then using, that's also why my site, why we focus so heavily on exploits, because this GTO stuff, quote unquote, is only useful if you exploit your opponents with it. If you're just like copying it and just blindly following it, you're not going to be as profitable as if you understand the types of mistakes your opponents make. For instance, a great example would be, let's say you you know open with pocket kings in early position and you get three bet by mid position and the, you get cold four bet by small blind. And small blind is this opponent who hasn't played a hand in two hours and you saw earlier peel a raise with ace, king, and queens. Their range is just kings and aces, but GTO will tell you to put those kings in as fast as you possibly can because you are printing wisdom. But in actuality, you're just setting money on fire. It's just straight torching it. And you know, understanding that 
your opponents play so many miles away from quote unquote GTO that your focus is just learning why you can exploit in these different ways. And the main reason why I suggest doing run at once on top of all this stuff is because there's some of the best all around players in the industry that make videos for the site. And while they aren't doing it in a structured formatted way, working together to build content, you're still getting great viewpoints from a lot of different uh, players and working on these, how to approach different aspects of your game and getting different like exploitative looks. And, you know, also, unfortunately, while, you know, there's a lot of other stuff I would love to be able to work on and add to the site, uh, because I'm having it be very GTO focused, I can only really do no limit hold'em tournaments. Like even just doing that is just so much work for me. But Run It Once has wonderful PLO content and mixed game content. In fact, to study for my PLO win, that morning I watched uh, Phil Galfon recently did a four-part series on a 2K PLO WCOOP final table where he went to the SARS client, uh, recorded the full final table with all cards up, and then discussed every single decision by every single person. And that was one of the best ways I could possibly study for this final table. And it was wonderful. It it just it helped me feel a lot more comfort. Like there wasn't really anything that like I was like shocked by or didn't know or whatever, but it just made me a lot more comfortable and confident that when he and I are thinking on the same pages for this final table, that I really knew what I was doing and that I could just follow through and go with my game plan. It was great. But for other people, they might learn a lot from stuff like that. So there's a lot of just like other kinds of content on there where if you really want to work on other games or other formats or like cash, like there's no cash content on, on Learn Pro Poker, I would go to Upswing for that and, uh, and Run It Once. I think both Upswing and Run It Once have wonderful cash content. So there's a lot of different sites out there. And honestly, if you want to work on all aspects of your game, there's plenty of different approaches where what you put your time and effort and money towards are going to be very valuable and profitable for you but if you want to work on the basic gto foundation of your game and learn how to you know really exploit players and also i do weekly group coaching sessions in fact tomorrow i'll do a two-hour uh, group coaching session with, where people can email me hands ask me questions and it's recorded and uploaded to the site and we do those four times a month and then we're also doing competition where the winner will uh, uh, receive a 50 50 stake to a ten thousand dollar buy an event during the summer. Um, so we're doing things like that as well as uploading new content every month. And I'm constant to me, like, you know, some of the issues I saw with some of the upswing content. Uh, so Nick Petrangelo is obviously one of the best players on the planet and the content that he gave in terms of the level of quality um, for, you know, how high level the content was, was very, very, very high. But I could tell that for him, it was just a project to make money. You know, Upswing gave him a lot of money to make this content. And that's what he did. He made the content. Um, but they had a lot of quality issues, like certain videos that just ended without finishing what he was working <laughs> yeah. on. Um, quality of video, quality of sound, just how it all looked, all that stuff. You can tell that it wasn't a passion project. He just did it to make money. It was good content. But unless you're a high stakes pro, it's not going to be very useful for you. Raise Your Edge also had a lot of issues for a long time with their quality of content. Um, the level of content was very high, and Ben CB does teach certain exploits and stuff and teaches them, I think, very, very well. Um, I've gone through the whole course. I thought it was great value. But they had a lot of issues for a long time. Like Most of their videos for the longest time were 45 minutes to two hours in length. 
which is hard to watch. It, very difficult to watch when you're watching like these in-depth theory videos. Um, while my focus has been, uh, I will never have, if it's possible, I will never have a theory video on there longer than 25 minutes. That's my goal. And most of our theory videos are between three minutes and 14 minutes. So they're very easy for you to just watch in a sitting and, you know, to learn from them. And then attached to every theory video is a hand history example. So I teach you the basics of the theory and then teach you how to apply that theory. And for the longest time, Raise Your Edge was just, here's a video on a section for like playing flops. And it would be a two hour video on how to play the flop. But you couldn't go into, you couldn't just like pick a type of flop that you wanted to look at and study. You couldn't like, you know, pick the exact type of scenario that you wanted to study until very recently. So uh, we soft launched in June with this setup and then uh, Raise Your Edge a week and a half ago, their layout changed to almost the exact same as ours in terms of how their content was laid out. They cut up all their videos, made them between like five minutes and 25 minutes and had it so each video was split into small sections so you could find exactly what aspect of your game you wanted to work on. And I think that made a huge quality difference because like for me as a player, yeah, I might want to look at, you know, three bet ranges, but I don't want to look at every single type of three bet range. I want to look at a three bet range for 100 big blind stack in mid position versus early position. I don't want to look at every single spot just because that one spot is going to be complex enough and hard enough to learn that trying to learn all of it at once would just be too difficult. And also having these really long videos. I mean, even someone like me that's really working hard on their game, it's very difficult to watch a two hour long video. I like if it's super theory based, I'm probably going to cut it off after like 30 minutes and go back and rewatch and so on and so forth. So by making the content the way I have, kind of made a fashion that like, younger me really wanting to work on their game would have it super easy and kind of handheld for them in terms of finding what they want to work on and how they want to learn. And like you said, you know, learn pro poker for me, it's a passion project. Like I will keep putting time and effort into this as long as I'm making enough, like just enough to justify it. You know, I have very limited time. So obviously for me, I do need to make money from it to justify it. Otherwise, I just, I can't necessarily justify doing it. But it's already doing well enough that I just, I want to teach others and I'm glad that it's doing well enough that I can focus on making great content and putting out as much as I realistically can, as well as still playing and, and doing that kind of stuff. Because, you know, if I can provide for myself and my family and make this content, then that is, that is wonderful. That's like, I will keep doing that for as long as I possibly can. So as long as people agree with me that the content that I put out is more than worth the money, then I will keep making more and more of it and helping others achieve. Like, you know, there is a blog post by Phil Galfon. Like I said, Phil Galfon, really like and respect him a lot. Truly a fan of him. He did a blog post pretty recently about Run It Once where he was talking about you know, part of poker success is a dream of becoming a pro and playing high stakes and winning a bracelet and that kind of stuff. Um, And obviously he said it very (laughs) much more eloquently than I just did. It really is a great post. And, um, you know, I've had that type of viewpoint for a while in terms of why I coach people. You know, I've done thousand plus hours of one-on-one coaching and done tons and tons of group coaching in the past. And part of the reason why I did it, yeah, I wanted to make money, but I also just want to help other people achieve what I have and, you know, really work on their game. And with Learn Pro Poker, I can do that and help as many people as possible and do it for a price that virtually everyone can afford. 
And that really is my goal with it is that if, you know, someone uh, this summer wins a bracelet and tells me that they did it because of my site, to me, that will be success. Or if someone in the future down the road tells me that they play poker professionally because of my site, that will be true success. And, and that's you, what I want. You will to get there. You'll, you'll get there. I think that it's, it's inevitable that you will get there. And, uh, you definitely don't want to be making any two hour long videos because that'll take you like well, a dec- decade. We do actually have two hour long videos on there, but they're all like hand history reviews or yeah, the easy, the low hanging yeah, fruit. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, scaling, scaling and helping more people than you can one to one is, is clearly the goal. Um, yeah. I, I think for, you know, the poker coaches that, that genuinely care about the success mm-hmm. of the people that they're coaching, which I found that in general, most of the ones that I've met do care about the success. That's right. why they do it in the first exactly. place, right? You look at an hourly rate of like a poker coach and you're like, oh, it's 200 an hour. That's very expensive. It's not enough uh, as a poker coach. You, when, I, when I'm coaching people, I'm available on Skype 24-7. Yeah, um, exactly. Emails, like you, you just, there's so much time that goes into the, like, the one session is one thing, but then there's 24 right. hours in the day where you're dealing with a million other things. Right. So the exactly. hourly is not what uh, the price, yeah. price tag says it is by I any mean, stretch. Even, especially with the site. So we have a large active Discord. I think we have 500 plus members in it. And I've replied to every single question sent to me in Ask Ryan. And I've replied to every single hand history posted in our hand history discussion. And I plan on doing that for as long as I possibly can. So, you know, it really is like I'm essentially on call with my site 24 7, 365, which is why, like, it's just so much work. And oh, it's a ton. I've been really, really enjoying it. I've been having a lot of fun with it. I'm glad I get to help so many people. And I'm glad everyone's been enjoying the content to such a high degree. Um, I'm very thankful for that. In fact, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of anxiety when we were launching. Um, even going into our soft launch in June. What's the worst thing somebody said said to you about the about the site? No one has said a bad thing. That's wow, like, that's insane. Like, <laughs> like we've had people cancel and stuff. Like, uh, not well, not renew their subscriptions. But I think maybe we had one person ask for a refund wow. of seventeen hundred signups or something like that. That's okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. And I've like, I, I didn't even understand why it was, they sent us like long winded email that didn't really make sense to me. Why? So I've like, I haven't had anyone say something to me like this content is bad or it's poorly done or anything like that to any degree whatsoever. Even like, you know, the pros I've had check it out. You know, they've all said that they think it's well done, that it, you know, was well set up, that they understand why I had the approach that I did. And every paying member that I've had that has said anything has said positive stuff. The, the pros, I would say, like a lot of times these perspectives and opinions, especially if they're people that you invite and have a relationship with, mm-hmm. I know that those opinions can be uh, questionable um, because if they don't want to hurt your feelings, right? Right. But when I've the had people like, that pay money, um, when they don't complain yeah. and they say good things, you can that's you can great. be pretty sure that, that that's a genuine reaction. The pros and stuff that I've asked to like give input, I've said be brutal and honest. And like really tear it apart. And I've had no one say anything bad to any degree. I yeah, mean, obviously still- my target audience isn't high six pros. My target audience is essentially anyone that's like a casual Twitch viewer up to mid stakes winning online regs. Like if you're already a, you know, 75 ABI on stars and you want to work on exploits and get a better understanding of certain GTO aspects, my site can still help you. 
you're already playing at the highest stakes and have all this stuff down. Yeah. We're probably, I'm not probably not going to help you at all, but I feel as though if you aren't at that level that we have room to help pretty much everyone. Well, the price point makes sense for the product and the people that you're serving. Exactly. Um, if it was specifically for high stakes players, it would be thousands of dollars mm. for a, yeah. a very small market. Which is what raise your edge and upswing charts for the master classes and poker code. Uh, so when Fedor Holes announced he was launching a training site, I was like, ooh, that's bad. And then he came out with thousand dollars and I was very, very happy about it. I, I, I think we're not I, competing with them. Like well, they're entirely different products than what we have. There's this like uh, you know, an abundance and a scarcity mentality, right? right. Where People come out with a thing and you're like, oh my God, this person's getting into this. They're going to crush mm-hmm. me. But like, e- even in, in the instance of Chris Moneymaker, going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, right. how much money do you think Sammy Farhaz made because of Chris Moneymaker, because of losing the main event heads up? How much money do you think a Phil lot. Ivey's made yeah. when Moneymaker binks so the boat? Much. Like so much money from this one victory. So it's like... You know, it just created a bigger market for everyone yeah. to capitalize on. And so, like, mm-hmm. when Fedor comes out with a thing and he can bring in people that are not familiar with poker and they can get involved and then like, right. it grows the market for, you know, for Learn Pro Poker. And yeah, then, I definitely agree with that. So, like, I think that we sh- just as human beings, we should always be rooting for the success of other people, definitely. even in, like, similar competing fields, right? Yeah. In fact, um, like, one of the main things that makes me think of this is – uh. You know, when certain, when most casinos or series or, you know, sites offer, you know, big guarantees on terms, I want them to hit. I always want them to hit, even if I'm playing in it. Like if I'm playing in something, it's like, let's say I'll, I'll be playing some series in like Vegas or whatever, like at the win. And, you know, I'll be there and there'll be like a shot at, at an overlay. Most people, they're like, oh, you shouldn't tell anyone you want it to overlay. I'll be texting every single person I know, tweeting about it, you know, messaging everyone and making sure that they hit that guarantee because while short term them missing and adding money to the prize pool increases my equity by you know x amount you know it could maybe increase it by as much as 30 percent. i don't care i don't want that 30 percent. i want the wind to go hey that was great we hit that guarantee wonderful let's keep doing it yeah let's that's keep this going, going. To be best for everyone in the industry now there's an, another casino right now where if they had an overlay i want them to overlay but most of the others i I want them to do well. I have a feeling I, really I know really the do. casino yeah. that you're rooting <laughs> against. Um, and I am rooting against them as well. Yes. So like, and I feel as though that just in general, that there being successes in the poker industry is good for everyone. I mean, you know, the game and the industry is getting tougher in certain ways, but it's doing very, very well in others. And I think that the, the industry overall is very, very, very healthy. And, you know, that continuing is just going to be best for everyone. And there being competition in the market for training sites, for poker sites, for all this stuff is a very, very good thing. You know, it'll push me to keep being as good as I possibly can. And it'll push the others to offering better and better quality and higher value content. Oh, you know, for sure. If the That's others want to, does. you know come down to my price point and offer similar style content, bring it on. I mean, that's great for everyone. That gives more people more opportunities to learn high quality stuff and to improve their games and achieve what I want them to help, you know, achieve. I want more people to be able to, you know, have the type of success that I've had in the game. That really is my main goal with it. And, you know, I'm glad that I can do that and make good money from it. And that enables me to keep doing more and to make more content, make higher quality content, pushes me harder and harder and harder to do better and to be better. And that's great. I love it. Um, 
Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. It's been you know a lot of hard work, but it's been great. There's a corporate uh, parallel too. Um, like for in my area, Comcast effectively has a monopoly on internet, yep. and Google Fiber is coming into Atlanta or threatening to come into Atlanta. And then all of a sudden, you have Comcast is now offering fiber, um, yeah. whereas they weren't doing it for like a decade before. And then Google Fiber is like keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And I researched it, like when mm. the hell is Google Fiber coming? And after researching it, I realized that their strategy wasn't even to really come. They spent a lot of money, but the strategy was to create competition to make Comcast do better. Um, And when you create competition for monopolies, they have no choice but to up their game and improve the the experience of all the people in in that area. This is why I've been so happy with what Party Poker has been doing. Um, You know, five, six years ago, seven years ago, they weren't really the best overall company. Um, They were making certain mistakes and they weren't really pushing the market. And this is in part why PokerStars was eating up so much of the market. And PokerStars essentially obtained a monopoly. They had such a large percentage of the market that they thought that they could do whatever they wanted. And then they did. They removed Supernova Elite in a way in which effectively took 30 to $50 million straight out of players' pockets. And the fact that they had such a strong monopoly and were willing to do that really hurt everyone in the industry. It hurt the entire industry. And then Party Poker realized that you know, PokerStar is doing such a big thing and losing so much goodwill in the community that it opened up a gap to them gaining market share and really pushing, you know, PokerStars to, to be better and to do better. And, you know, Party Poker's growth over the last couple of years under Rob Young and Mike Sexton has been amazing. You know, they went from being kind of a joke of a company to really doing right by the players in every fashion. You know, well, they were crushing it in the early yeah. 2000s when they yeah, left super the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, were, they, they were crushing it back then. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the thing is like what a lot of people forget, you know, there's this, this sentiment that I've talked about that, you know, I hear it a lot of fuck the pros, yeah. um, fuck the pros, fuck the pros. And it's like the pros are part of this. There would yeah. be, Poker stars would not be poker stars without the pros. This was exactly. built on the influence and the greatness of these guys who have achieved great things and been personalities and been on TV right. and played this stuff. Like, you know, these these things would not exist. This market would no, be no like what was full tilt poker? Play with the pros. This was yeah. the tagline, right? Mm-hmm. And the recreational players, they're obviously a big part of the poker economy too. So you, you know, you need to cater to you them. Need that- balance you need the balance you need both but they're both necessary for the ongoing growth of poker so like when stars does something like that and says screw these guys like yeah that this of course this hurts their their long-term business it's a short-term short-term yeah they they make a little extra money now but they're not thinking five years in advance where they lose market share kind of killing that dream where when they're like yeah pros we don't need them and they don't need to make a living from our site then the people that are playing for fun recreationally that have this dream of becoming a pro and playing the World Series and doing all that kind of stuff kind of dies and they lose that customer. Yeah, um, you, you lose the, you, and it's like, you know, you take it away. It's like, what am I working for then? Like, right, you don't want exactly. me to win. You don't want me to be a pro. Then why the hell am I even pursuing this venture in the first place? Right. And I think, I think most sites these days have realized that and are back to, kind of catering, not necessarily towards the pros, but finding that balance. Um, I think Party is doing a wonderful, wonderful job with it of really like really working hard to do what players want, but still focus on their bottom line. 
you know, it's obvious, it's all about like finding that, that balance. Um, and I, as, as someone I've worked a lot with, uh, different poker sites in terms of helping them, you know, build content, um, of build, uh, building structures and doing that kind of stuff. 